The rolling hills are staggering between Samaria and Galilee. The land is, is dry. It's, it's almost gray from all the stone peeking through. It's covered mostly by scrubby brush with olive trees starting, growing on towards the homes. I don't imagine that very many people walked through the village of Burkine 2,000 years ago. It, it would have been a real sight for them to see Jesus approaching. And still today, the small town in Palestine feels like it, it sits well off the beaten path. Our pilgrimage came to this place a few weeks ago. We, we tromped up the steep hill, ducking under all this bougainvillea that came spilling out over the old walls and in far more colors than we see here, the, the fuchsia, but also orange and yellow and red. We slowly climbed the stone steps, worn smooth by centuries of foot traffic until we arrived at the small church built in the fourth century to remember this gospel story. A group of people has been forced into a sequestered life marked by the pain and isolation of leprosy. Chances are they've been cut off from their families for a good long while when this young rabbi surprises them. He comes walking nearby, this this ship coming close to their deserted island, close enough that they can call out to, to him, and he hears them. Upsetting all the norms of both health and religion, he agrees. Jesus comes closer, and he listens, and he heals this whole group of people. He gives them back their health. And maybe even more importantly, by healing them, he gives them back their lives. And then, most of them take off, diving right back into the world that they've been longing for, for ages. And Jesus is put out. Where are they? To me, he sounds a little bit prickly in his tone here, exasperated, or, or maybe he's just confused. He healed them from this awful disease. Why don't they then turn back and say thanks? I understand why he might be frustrated But setting aside the desire for a simple moral to the story and and slowing down to see these folks as whole people, I, I can think of a number of reasons why the other nine might keep going. Maybe they are desperate to finally be reunited with their families. Maybe they want to stay in motion, this surprise healing seeming almost too good to be true, too good to slow down and consider, lest it be taken away again, just as suddenly. Maybe they have come to detest this place where they have lived, 
which has probably felt more like a prison than a home, and they cannot wait to be gone. There's another reason I suspect may be at work here, one that I think seeps into our lives all the time. It starts out benign, but, but over time it can twist us into knots. It's that we often forget what the point of this kind of blessing is. Yes, it is fundamentally good to be cured of an illness. But that return to health is not an end unto itself. At least, not as we hear Jesus teach about healing throughout the Gospels. Far beyond that, it's the healing, the healing it's, it's about creating more life, more abundance to share. People are healed, and then almost straight away they are sent again and again. This blessing is about setting us back on our feet in order that we can really live, rooted deeply in community. What happens if, if we receive gifts not as an end, but as a starting place, as a springboard into whatever it is that might come next? This is a question we're going to be considering in the month ahead, our annual stewardship season. It's a time when, as a community, we take stock of what we've been given and ponder together what our response will be, most especially what we do with our money. Even if we've been through this before, as I know plenty of you have been, it's an invitation that begs more attention every year. At least that is the case for me. For a while now, my husband Jesse and I have practiced tithing, giving 10% back to God's work in the church. I share this not to boast, uh, or because it's what anyone should do, but because I want this to be a place where we can share honestly and grapple with how we may each be called to give. It took us years to get to the point of tithing, and... If I'm being really honest, it, it takes work every year to choose to continue. I recognize that challenge rising up when I, I find myself hoping for more of any number of ways, things, you name it. It comes creeping in, thinking that maybe I would be just a little bit happier if we had or if we could do, or if I just ordered any number of things. It came uh, particularly clear, though, earlier this year when I was, I was just sort of vaguely dreaming of maybe getting a little used electric car. And I mentioned this to Jesse. You know, they've been out long enough that there are good used ones now, and and it would be environmentally responsible, and some of them are really cute now. And 
And then there are the tax credits. So we'd be spending some money, but we'd be saving money. It was very logical. I thought it was pretty convincing. And he listened and smiled. And then very pleasantly and matter-of-factly, his response was something like, well, if we didn't pledge, maybe we could pull off making those payments. But so far, it's felt important to pledge. I sighed, and I nodded, and I smiled because I knew that he was right. He understood our priorities, my priorities, well. And sometimes these call me up short. And much deeper than that struggle, here is the truth. I pledge because I believe in this place and what God is up to in the church. I've seen how the church can be a place where lives are transformed in one congregation after another after another. And often the the life that has been transformed is my own. And I remain so grateful. I want to be part of that on every level. I want to help make that possible in all the ways that I can contribute. And and much as, as we'd like to think of money as being really separate from God, it is an incredibly important tool in this holy work. And it's more than that. I, I also pledge because as a practice, beginning our budget by giving 10% back, it, it softens my heart. It connects me more deeply to the community and it, it helps me to come more closely into step with where God seems to be headed. All 10 people are healed Jesus gives them this gift before they can respond. It's not earned. It's not contingent on anything that they do. They all walk away healed. But the one who lingers, who turns, who says thank you, something else happens for him. He encounters Jesus in a way that the others miss. He brings himself down to the earth, lying before him, and and gets to really meet him. This one slows down to say thank you, and in doing so, Jesus lifts him up from the ground, bringing this healed one face to face with God. We can absolutely follow the nine, and often we do. And there's this other way, if we're willing. No matter the shape of our lives, we receive so much. Tender care, generous educations, a beautiful community to call our home, and resources we can choose how to steward. It can be awfully tempting to to hold on to what we've got, to run out and enjoy our own first fruits and, and then all the others that come also. 
And Lord knows these recent years have been unpredictable enough. And, and holding tight to what we have just in case can seem like a pretty good idea. But here's the good news. What Jesus wants is for us to be fully alive. This comes as healing us, as setting us free from all that has bound us, as knitting us together in one motley and fabulous community. And part of his invitation to this abundant life is for us to recognize what has been done for us and turn back to say thank you. To meet God in that place as we try to offer what we can back to the wider good. It's this continual dance of receiving and returning, of offering our gratitude for the stunning gifts that have come, and then finding God there. This is what brings us fully alive.